Okay, the reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, In you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for forty days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of the Lord. It was midnight on Christmas Eve. I was a young pastor. I had just celebrated my first Christmas Eve service in my first year as pastor of my first church. And I was standing in the back of the church in the narthex greeting people and wishing them Merry Christmas. It had been a long day. My kids had been running around like crazy all day. They were probably still running around awake next door in the parsonage. But I felt really good because I thought that the service had gone really well. And then Charlotte came up to me. That's not her real name. I've changed it to protect the guilty. Charlotte was the crankiest member of the congregation. And Charlotte was angry. You didn't read Isaiah 35 after we sang Silent Night. We always read Isaiah 35 on Christmas Eve after Silent Night. Who knew? In planning the service, I checked last year's bulletin. Didn't say anything about Isaiah 35. I talked to the choir director and the secretary. They didn't remember anything about Isaiah 35, but Charlotte did. Charlotte was a great believer in that phrase that we've all heard. We've always done it that way. How many times have you heard that phrase in church? Believe me, I've heard it more than you have. And there is a lot to say for traditions, especially in worship. Traditions help us to rely on worship to give us support and strength in times of need. But the truth is that the Jesus of the Bible is not one who merely reaffirms old traditions. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But then he goes on time and time again to first announce, you've heard that it was said, then he quotes an Old Testament law, and then proclaim, but I say to you, and then he gives new wisdom concerning that law. 
The message of Jesus Christ is transformational. It's something new. As Matthew comments at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority. In Mark's gospel, there's a special sense of urgency to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Mark's gospel is the shortest one, where Matthew, Luke, and John will take a paragraph or more. Mark tells his stories succinctly, using just a few precise words. In Mark, there are no Christmas stories or philosophical discussions about the word of God or about being born again. By the 15th verse of the very first chapter of Mark, Jesus is a grown man. We've met John the Baptist. We've seen him baptize Jesus in the Jordan River. Jesus has been tempted in the wilderness, and he begins to proclaim his message. The time has come, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. It's time for a change, Jesus tells us. It's a new age, a new world. There's no time to hesitate or debate. God has come in a brand new way. And each one of us has to decide, how will I respond to God's call? God has put each one of us on this earth for a purpose. God has a plan for each one of us. We're here for a reason. And it's exactly the plan that we need for a fulfilling life. God sent Jesus into our world for a reason, to challenge us to live according to God's plan, to call us to a life of loving service to God and each other. And that means that we have to be willing to change. My personal experience is we don't really like to change. In the churches uh, that I've served, when we talk about change, people seem to want to change slowly and carefully after a lot of thought and discussion and deliberation, not too much change and not too fast. But here comes Jesus in this morning's gospel, lifting us to the top of the mountain And Jesus is saying, it's time to take the plunge. It's time to ski down the slopes, make the turns, jump the jumps. Are you ready? Or are you one of those who would just like to sit and watch and complain that we've just never done it this way before? The key word to Jesus' proclamation of his message in This morning's passage from Mark is repent, to take the plunge, to start our new life, to follow Jesus. We must begin by saying to God and to the world the two most difficult words in the English language, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I've sinned, I'm sorry. 
And then we have to be willing to change our ways. C.S. Lewis is the famous author of the epic children's series, The Chronicles of Narnia. How many of you have read Chronicles of Narnia? Okay, then you, you know C.S. Lewis. You've probably maybe even read some of his other best-selling works on Christianity, Mere Christianity, The Screwtape Letters. He wrote a book called The Great Divorce. And in that book, C.S. Lewis tells the story of a group of residents of hell who are allowed to board a bus bound for heaven. And at the bus stop, the, they have to get off and walk up to the pearly gates. Guides from heaven are there to lead them, but several of the residents refuse to get off the bus. One won't go because the guy, one of the guides is a murderer whom he can't forgive. Another can't bear to give up her need to control every relationship. A third is much too committed to his cynicism. I, 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 never, I won't pick on you this morning, but I like this shirt. Anyway, <laughs> they, pref- <laughs> they prefer the hell that they know to the heaven that God is offering them. This week, the seasons change. We enter the season of Lent. Lent is a time for repentance, and repentance means a big change in our lives. It's a lot more than giving up candy. I can't do that, I'm sorry. Or Facebook, I can't do that either. To repent is to give up familiar ways of living that may be comfortable, but which dishonor God or hurt others, or keep us from being the people that God has meant us to be. We're here for a reason. United Methodist retired Bishop Will Willimon has written that during Lent, God invites you to take a look under the microscope called the gospel to consider where you are, where you might be going, all as a prelude to change. And if the key word in this morning's gospel is repent, the key phrase is the kingdom of God. Jesus announces that it is time for us to live as God wants us to, as if God is truly in charge of our world. Jesus proclaims a new social order with this kingdom of God, where the sick are healed, The blind receive sight. The oppressed find liberty. The captive are set free where sins are forgiven. The least become the first. And where we love one another as Jesus loves us. Author John Davies writes, The good news declares that what was expected to happen at the end of time has here and now begun to take effect through Jesus of Nazareth. The good news denies what is in the face of the future, which is operative in the present. It is a transforming moment from what is to what ought to be. This is the message proclaimed by Jesus in just 17 words in the 15th verse of the first chapter of Mark. The time is fulfilled And the kingdom of God is at hand. 
repent and believe the good news. And then Jesus goes out and delivers that challenge directly to some fishermen working in the waters of the Sea of Galilee and to you and me sitting in our pews on the first Sunday in Lent. You're here for a reason, Jesus says. Follow me. In the Oscar-winning film Gandhi, Ben Kingsley plays the great Hindu leader Mahatma Gandhi, who led the people of India to freedom from British colonial rule. There is a scene in the movie based on actual facts. It takes place in the midst of violent battles between Hindus and Muslims for power in their new nation. Seeking to end the bloodshed, Gandhi, an apostle of nonviolence, goes on a one-man hunger strike, vowing not to eat a thing until there is peace. He risks his health. He risks his life. One day, a Muslim peasant sneaks into Gandhi's room, throws a piece of bread at him. Here, eat this, he says. I'm already going to hell, but I don't want your death on my conscience, too. Gandhi quietly asks, what do you want? The man replies, last night my only son was killed in the riots by Hindus. I was so angry and filled with grief that I went out and took a baby Hindu boy, hit him until he was dead. I know that I'm going to hell, but you mustn't die for us or we will have twice the torment. Gandhi thought for a moment. You are a Muslim, he asked, and the man nodded. Then what you must do is to go out and find a Hindu boy whose father was killed last night. Take him home, adopt him to be your only son, and raise him to be a good Hindu. Here, in a true story about Hindus and Muslims, is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we repent of our sins, if we change our lives, if we live lives of love for one another, then we will be forgiven. We will experience the kingdom of God in our lives, right here, right now. Amen.